Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. I'm Leticia from Brazil. Join me at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get all sorts of extra content just like I do every month. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, in the 1970s, a serial killer terrorized Yorkshire. Who was he and why did it take the police so long to capture him? We'll review the new documentary, The Ripper, on Netflix. Then, a string of British men abruptly leave their women brokenhearted. Does it have anything to do with the activist groups they belong to? We'll review the podcast, Bed of Lies. Joining me to get that done and more is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and certified cat lady and certified pet detective, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. And finally with us, our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast about UFOs, and our Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Now, Kevin, before we start the show, is there something that you would like to talk about and let our audience know about? Yeah, if you're listening to this podcast on Monday morning when it comes out, you should know that we're with our family and we are saying goodbye to my father. He had uh, COVID uh, related illness and uh, after two weeks in the hospital, we lost him. And so we're saying goodbye. And I don't I don't want to eulogize him on, on the podcast, but I did want to thank the listeners because not long ago, uh, he was on Facebook trying to find... Trying our to pod- figure out how to use Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was trying to find the, uh, you know, our, our Facebook watch thing. And he somehow he stumbled into the Crime Writers on Discussion group. Yes. And, and I'm like, I, I'm like looking at the request and it's like, oh, Robert Flynn wants to try. Okay, so he joins. And so I just said to everybody, hey, you know, and I tagged him in the in the post. I said, Robert Flynn is here and, you know, he's not going to, you know, participate too much. But can we just. Could everybody just, you know, just say hi to him and tell him where you're from? And so everybody was, you know, saying, hi, this is a great place. I'm from Texas. I'm from, uh, you know, I'm also from New England. 
and all these people were coming in, and then as night came along, and then Australia, those people wake up, <laughs> and then in Europe, and then there's, you know, Scandinavia, and Ireland, and, you know, all these different places. He was just blown away, because old people don't get any no. attention on Facebook, certainly not from hundreds of <laughs> not people. Not the right kind. Not the right kind. <laughs> not, the, not the non-scamming kind. And he just kept, you know, he would talk about that a lot. You know, that he just thought how neat that was that all those people were there. So I want to thank the listeners in the Facebook group who did that for him. And of course, you know, we've been getting a lot of support on Facebook and Twitter and emails and things like that. But what you know, families, you know, we're, we're coming together and you're part of our family, too. And so uh, we appreciate it. So on behalf of my dad, thank you for doing all that. Oh, we love him so much. Laura has her own little Facebook story about your dad. Is oh, okay. She tells yeah, that? tell it. Yeah, I do. So it was right around that same time that I got a friend request from your dad, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, Kevin's dad is befriend. So I was like, well, I'll, I'll accept Kevin's dad. And then he did the thing that all my friends' fathers do, which cracks me up. It was like Robert Flynn is waving at you. <laughs> the way, is that like the and poke? I, you yeah. see it? It's like an old feature that no one uses. <laughs> and I was like, normally I wouldn't wave back, but I was like, I'll wave back at Kevin's dad. Yeah. So I was like, hey, Kevin. So I, I like, it's like you waved back at Robert Flynn. And I just, I kind of loved that because my grandmother, when she got on Facebook, used to do the same thing. I'd get this, Gladys is poking you. And I'm like, poking me? <laughs> Toby, did my dad try to Facebook friend you? Uh, for some reason, he didn't. <laughs> he had good taste. <laughs> I was about to say. Showing he, great judgment. He definitely uh, accidentally friended Laura, too. I'm, I'm sure of oh, that some kind of thing. He totally wanted to see my cats. Yeah. I know that's what it was. Yeah. Well, he was the best person I ever knew, pretty much, and uh, we really miss him, and you know, mm-hmm. I'm really, really sad, but we are really grateful for all the outpouring of support we've got from this community. We're very lucky to have so many wonderful people in our tribe. Now, before we move on to the podcast, I have something else that I want to talk about briefly, mm-hmm. and that is the gifts that we received from Laura and Toby for Christmas. Oh, okay. Um, you haven't gotten my <laughs> gift yet. Didn't you send me a book? I sent you a book, but that that was just because you mentioned it. Oh. That you kept forgetting it. Okay, you got a gift coming. It's it's gonna be there in like a week or. Did two. you get my gift? I just I did. Got your, I got your gift. It finally I put arrived. It on the tray. Right? Yes, yeah. it's on the tree. Yeah. So what did That's I send you, awesome. Toby? You sent me an alien Christmas tree ornament. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Handmade Everybody from a maker was very on Etsy. Excited. Yes, and Laura, I sent you a Christmas ornament as well, right? You did. You sent me a microphone, a podcasting microphone, and I put it way at the top of the tree so my cats couldn't break it. Well, we are twinsies because I have the same ornament, Laura. Yeah. Now, Rebecca, you gave me a sushi uh, <sighs> ornament. I actually bought ornaments for the whole family as I do every year, and I think I accidentally threw away the bag they were in, and they were all super expensive, and I'm super mad <sighs> about it. Yeah. I'm so angry about it. Uh, I know, I know. Uh, so, Kevin, what did Laura get for you? She got me. <laughs> Again, I don't. We talked about in the after show, so if you haven't in the after show, it maybe was a the spit funny take isn't moment. Be, yeah, uh, it was a book, and it was what was it called? Laura, what was the book called? Lost Cat. Lost Cat. <laughs> a true subti- story 
of love, desperation, and GPS technology or something like that. <laughs> you literally liked it a spit take oh, when you opened that it gift. it was great. I may never read it, but I, I, you definitely got your oh. money's worth with the, the laugh. You're going to read it because Toby got one as well, and I think we're going to have to do a book club and read that oh. book and talk about it. Jeez. <laughs> well, You're going to be invited to a future episode of Leave. I, hey, I think Carol Baskin's on New Year's Eve tonight. Nice. I think uh. she's on Anderson Cooper's. I saw it. I was like, Carol Baskin? Our friend Carol. Oh, yeah. She's one of the stories of 2020, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, so she's not She's not actually paying attention. We're actually recording this podcast on New Year's Eve. We should explain that because yeah. you're not like warping time. But yeah, maybe she'll be in the book club about Lost Cat. That would be something. <laughs> something. <laughs> well, and speaking of Lost Cat, you guys, holy moly, I wrote this story. I think I mentioned it last week or the last time we taped about this cat that was found after seven years. Wow. Yeah. And it got picked up nationally. Nice. Um, USA Today. Nice. USA nice Today. Yeah. yeah. And now People Magazine picked it up. <gasps> and Yeah. Wow. Laura, are you making any money off this? um, No. So the People Magazine person (laughs) sent their own person, who, by the way, didn't write as well as I think I do. No, you're better. um, You know. But anyway, no, I just was like, how funny is this that the first story I have that really goes national like this is a cat story. Of course it is. Of course it is. (laughs) It's on brand. And we should explain to our listeners that, like, did the AP pick it up, Laura? Is that why it ended up in USA Today? No. So the reason it ended up is because the parent company of Ah. the group of newspapers that I write for now is part of the USA Today network. So they basically mine all of their local stories. They can just steal your work. papers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So they basically pick up local stories and steal it. And I get nothing except the fame of being like, hey, this is a total crazy cat lady. Like, I I have achieved a new level nice. of Crazy Cat Lady right now, I think. Well, I'm very proud of you. Yeah. I mean, you're going to become the Jason Schreiber of cats. <laughs> Our friend Jason, who every time he writes an animal story, it goes viral or takes yeah. an animal photo. Oh, and didn't you show uh, Kevin's dad I the video of Jason's Last Christmas, whale? <laughs> we were talking whale. about our friend Jason Schreiber, who's a reporter in New Hampshire, posted this incredible video a couple years ago of there was a dead whale on a beach here in New Hampshire. And for some reason, some reason, somebody thought the way to get rid of this dead <laughs> whale was to bring in a dumpster, pick up the whale with like a backhoe and put it in the dumpster. And you can see... Before they try, that the whale is bigger than the dumpster. Like I don't know if they, they got like it would one fold. of those. Well, they got the wrong size dumpster. They got one of those square ones that you see behind a restaurant. Right. They meant like a big long right. tank. But you, know, you could container. see it yeah. wasn't going to. Oh yeah, it wasn't gonna. It but like you, bounced. But, but you can almost. It's, it's almost like they thought <laughs> it. They, they thought they were gonna put it. Maybe in it would fold, fold up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a dead like a dead goldfish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, and I I showed that to your dad. I remember it clear as day last Christmas. I showed it to your dad because I don't know we were talking about something about that, and he said. Why did they think that was going to fit in that dumpster? (laughs) (laughs) On point, as always. You know who wouldn't find that story amusing? Who? Any of the women in Bed of Lies. Yes, true. Uh. (laughs) Probably right. You're probably, they're all environmental activists. Kevin is looking at me with a confused expression. Oh, right, right, right. And the animal rights activists. Yes, but it was already dead. The trade unionists. It it already died. Yes, yes, yes. yes. (laughs) At least they didn't blow it up like that video that I kept watching. Kevin, you tweeted it and I couldn't stop watching it. That's the video that made Kevin become a reporter, isn't it? Oh, it was so good. Didn't you become a journalist because of that video? (laughs) 
or something? I think I, I wanted to move to TV yeah. after I saw it. Yeah, yeah, actually, to be fair, it wasn't the original 1970s report. A guy from San Francisco, I forget his name. He was like K, uh, K, K, uh, K something. K something. KSFX. <laughs> yeah, he, he he did like an update on it where he talked to all the people, and it was just it was so well done. I'm like, oh man, I gotta I gotta get out of radio where it takes me 20 seconds to tell a story. I want two minutes. Yeah, you want to be on now. TV. Look at me. So you want you want to be a beautiful face. Yeah. Anywhere. All right. Well, this is a really nice chit chat. Should we start the podcast? Oh, is there gonna be a review too? There's gonna be two. All right, let's get to wow. it. All right, let's get it done. Leading off. We were in the office one day doing a bit of paperwork. Well, the boss got a phone call, and he said... Right, load up the van, we're going to Leeds. It's been a murder. In 1975, West Yorkshire police discovered the body of a woman who'd been brutally stabbed and slashed. It would be the first in a series of killings that rocked northern England. Victims were often bludgeoned, stabbed, and mutilated. You cannot help speculating of the victim... How on earth must they have felt in the last few minutes of their life while this was happening? The viciousness of the crimes shocked the nation, and the British press could not resist the similarities between this criminal and London's most famous killer. What you're looking for is that attention-grabbing, eye-catching title that's going to pull people in. If we can apply that title to these rather gruesome murders, well... That should really get people reading, shouldn't it? So, you're looking for a handle, well, the Ripper. Through interviews with the police, journalists, and families of the victims, Netflix's The Ripper explores the killing spree of Peter Sutcliffe, dubbed the Yorkshire Ripper. It also explores the many failings of investigators whose inability to coordinate information let the killer slip through their fingers time and time again. Now, we are going to be talking about plot points for The Ripper, so if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs-up or thumbs-down review. Now, first, I want to talk about the style and pace of this documentary. Uh, we have mixed feelings about it, but it does do something that everything we've ever watched from the cases in the 70s and 80s brings to us, which is that people in that time looked way older than they actually were. <laughs> Toby, you have an example of that, right? Yeah. Well, George Oldfield, who was the guy who was sort of put in charge of the case. Hot cop. Yes. Hot? I thought he was a good-looking guy. Uh, that old guy? Yeah, that was pretty good-looking. When he was young. Oh. When he was young. Well, I figured he was like in his 70s or something. Yeah. But then they're, they're like, and he retired at age 56 or something when this was over. I was like, wait, what oh, the that, fuck? Yeah. Like, he was younger than me when this whole thing started? <laughs> You're thinking of a different cop, Rebecca. Oh, I'm not thinking of the hot cop. No, you. This is the who was one of the supervisors. Oh, oh yes. The one who had like he looked like a grandfather, and yes. everybody's like, "Oh, he must have been <laughs> under so much pressure." <laughs> what What was going on in the 70s and 80s? Why did people look so old? Smoking. I don't know. <laughs> they look just real bad. Bad now, hair. Kevin, you thought this was a very classic format for true yeah. crime. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, like most documentaries, I think it kind of follows a, uh, you know, it wasn't like flashy or innovative trying to do like weird things. They just told it very chronologically, hitting all the points along the way, making the little side, you know, versions and things about, uh, you know, the politics of the day and the effect on, you know, women's rights and all the all this other stuff. I, th I thought it was fairly straightforward, not a lot of, you know, high production value, a little higher than your normal uh, stuff, but 
you know, I think it was it was put together. It was put together very well for, for think, something where we're not like breaking new ground. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, I think Laura might be a little closer to me in her yeah. feelings yep. about the pace. Laura, what do you think about this documentary and its general pacing? I just found like this was super slow, honestly. And, and I was trying to figure out what it was about it that I found it hard to follow because it was so slow. I mean, they had all the right people. They had all this historical footage. They had people that were involved. They had good interviews and good access. But I think just sort of the pace of the storytelling for me, it all started to sort of blend together. Now, when we got to like episode three and we started having the women talking about feminism, it started to kind of change a little bit. But the first two episodes, I was just like, oh, my God. I mean, it was like I I just felt like it was kind of excruciating. I guess I was kind of wondering why now? Like they're recapping the story. Like why now? And then when we got to the end and we find out that the police completely messed up this whole thing. I was like, now that would have been, if there was like an angle or a hook as to why we were hearing this story now, besides just like, here's this this murder case, I think it would have been a little bit more engaging. I have a, an alternate theory about why it was slow for me, um, yeah. because it was. I literally fell asleep while we watched episode one, and then I <laughs> fell asleep while I watched episode two. Uh-huh. And then Kevin was away when I had to watch episode three and four, and I like purposely chose to watch them early in the day they were a little more interesting the problem was for me um there was a lack of suspense and and then, and this is the thing really yes even yeah. though something is told and it's done and it's not really suspenseful because you could always look it up and find out what happened when i say there's a lack of suspense let me give you an example so at the end uh we find out that you know they they catch the guy and then we have all these cops saying oh you know i don't interview that guy before oh i interviewed that guy before too and so did i it would have been way better if in episode one, they sort of had some of that investigation, some of the people they interviewed, and then we sort of saw them like in the timeline of the documentary, they come visit this guy over and over again and didn't catch him. Like, there's yeah. no build, there's no suspense, they just sort of tell you what happened without letting you yep. like feel like you want to know what's going to happen. I mean, that's what suspense is, right? Like, I want to see what's going to happen next. I'm, I'm sort of on tinder hooks. To me, it kind of lacked that, and that was, to me, a big flaw. Toby, now, this is is in many ways a very straightforward procedural but I'm wondering how you feel about that because unlike the three of us you're not you know immersed you know at your, for your entire adult life in the world of true crime and you very often don't love it when a story is just a straight procedural with cops and dead bodies what did you think of that aspect of this story you know I just kind of felt like there were missed opportunities you know, and, and they do, they touch they touch on things, right? They they touch upon the economic downturn. They kind of touch upon feminism, but in kind of a weird way. They don't really integrate it very much into the story. And so for instance, when they when they talk about feminism, it tends to be in this we're being told to stay home, that we couldn't go out at night, and you know, we had just gained these freedoms and we wanted to be able to do what we wanted to. So there are these marches and stuff. And that's just not integrated into these other things that they talk about, not in terms of feminism necessarily, but about how, you know, there were very few, if any, women reporters. Mm. And, you know, so you had that one woman reporter who's like, you know, there's this guy out killing women who are going around by themselves. And there, that was my job. And, And I think the same with, there's another observation about how, 
I guess it was at a press conference or whatever. It's like all the press was men and all the all the cops were men. All the cops were Every men and all this stuff. Yeah. So it didn't seem like it got integrated too much, and there wasn't any kind of like did any of this have anything to do with what happened with Sutcliffe? You know, did this have any bearing on why he was doing what he was doing? You know, there was no thought about that at all. Uh, it was just sort of this this sort of home life thing that they were kind of pointed to. You know, I think that's an interesting, it's an interesting time. And I think maybe if it was made for like a British audience and they were a little bit more clued into what was going on during the 70s, like I don't feel like that gave a non-British audience any sense hmm. of what Northern England is like in particular. Right. I read a series of books about Leeds. They're by this guy, David Peace, and they're just brutal. Uh, and they're very stylized writing. What is the series? It's, it's fiction. They're, they're called like 1974, 1977, 1980, 1983. I, they're, they're three-year jumps, and they're all named after years. But he, he gets into talking a little bit about what Northern England was like. Yep during that period and stuff. And it's, it's just really interesting. And, and that wasn't here at all. Well, I actually, I, I kind of remember a lot of that in this. They talked about Leeds and, the, and the, all of that, that corridor from, I guess it's like Hull to uh, Liverpool. And maybe you wanted more of that. I thought I had a, there was enough of it that, that, I, that I got that Can uh, I ask you a view. question, though, yeah. Kevin? Because I think this speaks to my sort of sense of lack of suspense. Because yeah. in the fourth episode... We find out why the feminism stuff is important because we have other victims here besides sex workers who were murdered by this guy who were ignored by the police because they were so fixated on the fact that he was only killing one kind of woman. Right. Well, they made a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of sexism in that. There's a lot of sort of like don't believe women as a lot of, you know, casting the victims as only one kind of woman, like a bad woman. And then it blinded them. And then the reporter talked about all that. And that all plays into that. But when they when they give that background stuff in earlier episodes, they in no way intimate that that's a problem with the investigation. That sort of is something that comes out way later. You know what I mean? Right. So it's not like we're we're sort of with the cops and we see them making missteps and we know it's like bad. Like they sort of throw all that to us at the end. You see what I mean? Yeah, but see, but I agree with that. Yeah. I feel like you should have. They shouldn't tell you everything in the beginning. But you should you have a sense that it's wrong. You should have a sense of something. What that they're? We mean that it's wrong. Like that the it's investigation wrong isn't going that well. Going... No, that the investigation isn't going well. I think there was plenty of that. Mm. The episode two was all about that. Hmm. So I don't know. I guess I just don't remember maybe it. you watch different things. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm not the one that fell asleep on the couch uh, at the end of it. So I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. <laughs> well, I know what you're trying to say, Rebecca, because I was thinking like if if they had come at this from like at the end, we find out basically they totally effed up this investigation because they mischaracterized who the victims were and they had these preconceived notions. If that had been kind of the lead off in a way of like why there was, this was this huge case and it was bungled by the police and coming at it. So that was kind of the hook. Mm. And instead of leaving it till the end in episode four, where they really get into it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Kevin, what did you think of the use of all the archival footage and photographs? I loved it. Tell me about that. I I love found uh, video. And why this isn't found video. This is archival stuff from news organizations from uh, around the world 
about this case. And I just, it just, you know, there there were like one or two uh, recreations, uh, reenactments. You know, one there was, you know, a car when he was, Sutcliffe was arrested, you know, the car on the side of the road. You know, they did some video of that. And they have a couple of drone shots and shit like that. But I really got a sense of the time and the place because there was so much archival stuff. Yeah. And, I, you know, you could really visualize it. I could put myself not just there in a geographic place, but also in a more in a cultural place and in a time. I mean, how can you do it any better right. than to actually bring you there for the news coverage and, and all the other stuff that was, was happening there? So I, I thought that... You know, the, they didn't really need those little recreations. They had a lot of quality stuff. Yeah. They even had a picture of Sutcliffe driving his truck. Like, that's crazy. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Toby, uh, I have a question for you, sort of tied to what we were talking about before. There is, like, some morality stuff that the police laid over this case that played a huge part in their missteps. And, you know, it was almost like... I mean, the film says, the reporter says near the end of the film, like, they weren't investigating this case. They were investigating Jack the Ripper. Do you think that's true? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know specifically about Jack the Ripper, but I think that sort of morality play was present in the culture. Mm. Uh, It certainly was in, in America. I mean, this is like the beginning of the whole slasher film era, where the arc of the narrative is that... You have these girls who are engaging in, you know, basically sexual conduct at a young age, unmarried and stuff, and they get killed. And it usually ends up with the one sort of like, quote unquote, good girl, like fighting off Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers or whoever. So I think that, you know, that idea is already out there that having sort of non-sanctioned kinds of sex carries you know deadly consequences yes it's so bad for you <laughs> if you're a lady to have sex <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of comes up in that you know at first when it's these women who who you know most likely weren't but who the police assumed were sex workers it's like okay like this makes sense right and it's not that big a deal hmm. but then when it's that younger girl who lives in the neighborhood and and she gets killed it's like well they he must have made a horrible horrible mistake because she wasn't like that and <laughs> um you know it, and then i guess it's like the fifth murder or something where again it's it's like some high school age girl yeah and it's like well that's a step too far yeah so yeah a- absolutely i mean it's it's about as blatant as it can be. Laura, what are your thoughts about that? About the cops, you know, sort of mixing the morality of women with their investigation and assumptions about the case? Well, I think it's sort of a sign of the times. Uh, Obviously, this is taking place, you know, decades ago. And I think it also just shows when it plays out, you know, there was just this angle of, you know, the masculine angle to the investigation that, you know, because of the way that they were, you know, making these judgments, they weren't seeing the full picture. They weren't going in with an open mind and looking at all the possibilities in this case. And it's kind of a window into this time in history, you know, and shows us what women were dealing with at that point and and how people were characterized based on these sort of societal prejudices that, you know, the police were very clearly holding on to in this case. And and I was kind of raging against this because I was just like, 
what the hell? And they're like, well, and when they had that girl, it was like, well, she's from a nice neighborhood. I'm like, oh, for crying out loud. Oh, you fuck know? you. It was, yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> That's was what you more meant what say. I said. Yes. That's, that is what I said. I said, yeah, so. You know, I'll concede one thing as I'm listening to everybody else here, and I try not to let everybody sort of affect my opinion of the of the piece. I, the things that you guys were saying, like there wasn't a lot of or wasn't there, I would say it it was there. I think what you're saying makes convinces me that they didn't do a strong enough job of signposting it yeah. and showing that this was important, this is important, this was important. The whole thing about it first about the prostitutes was that it shows that- Sex workers. They would get <laughs> fixated on one thing yeah. and then they wouldn't veer off of that. And it was proven wrong. Oh my goodness, it wasn't just sex workers, it was this and this. They don't learn that lesson. Here comes a letter. They're like, oh, this is definitely from the Ripper, and it wasn't. Yeah. And here's the phone call. Oh, and if if he doesn't have a Geordie accent, oh Jesus, the Geordie accent, right? Time and time again, they would get caught on something, and this is what it is, and they put blinders on everything else. You know, like you see that whole thing with the big wheel, where they put all the little index cards. I was going to ask that you about that. That was a big deal. Yeah. That all of a sudden, like it's the, in the end, at the very end, they pull it all together, but it's a really soft touch. You're like, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember, I remember that. But maybe it's just a little too soft yeah. for folks. I, w- I would say, you know, I respect what you're saying, what you got out of it. I'd say a lot of it was there, but maybe it was just a little too subtle. Yeah. Because this is a little more history channel than investigation discovery, you know? That's exactly right. That's yeah. actually a good way of yeah. putting it. Yep. Two things, Kevin. First of all, yeah. I wasn't correcting you on prostitutes. That's how they, that's how they, oh, yeah, that's yeah. How they refer to them in the, in the yeah, show yeah, yeah, yeah. over and over and over again. Right. Second, I have a question about that whole card Being catalog. on the game. Remember that? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. on the game. Uh, that whole um, index card way of investigating. Yeah. They talked about this is the shoe leather police work. When you right. interview someone, you write it down on an index card. Yeah, you put, put it in but nobody is coordinating all those index cards that's, together. That's the important There's thing no to learn. There's no murder that. board. <laughs> right. Why did they talk to him nine times before he's arrested? Or how, how come he, he can go nine times? In part because this this police department had an interaction with him, and this other one did. There's no computer. The way they cross-referenced that, they just didn't know yeah. what you know what one hand was doing, right? You know, and the other hand didn't know what the other hand was doing. So that was a big part of the problem. And they put that out in the documentary but when you get to the end, you see all the things and why they put it out, but there were no anvils. Right. Now, Toby, I want to talk about that cop who went to his boss and said, I just talked to the Ripper. I know who he is. It's this guy, Peter Sutcliffe. He, his, his, his pay comes from the factory. Don't have a good feeling, boss. Where we tracked this money to. He was in the areas where all the crimes were committed. He looks exactly like the identikit sketch or whatever they call it. Yeah. And then his boss was like, but did he have a Geordie accent? And then he started screaming at him. No, he didn't. And it was a whole thing. Toby, what did you? It think- was effing and Jeffin. Yeah, effing and Jeffin. <laughs> what did you think of the just the a the blinders? But the fact that how would you feel if you were this cop and you had it, and then it turned out you were right, but because of this one detail that was just wrong, no one would listen to you. I wouldn't feel that great. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's kind of interesting when that happened. I was thinking about the murder at White House Farm or mm-hmm. whatever. And he's like kind of the opposite of the detective in the murder at White House Farm, who's like kind of takes it and then goes and does what he's going to do anyway, and eventually convinces everybody. Whereas this guy was just like, oh, well, fuck. We had a lower rank. He didn't have a choice, right? Yeah. So, but it's just, it's interesting that the, I don't know, maybe this is the fiction writers thing. It's interesting that the, uh, the boss like played to type. Yeah. 
And then the actual detective whose hunch was correct didn't play to type. Like, mm. there's not a whole lot of books where the guy's like, well, I, you know, it's a hunch, I guess, but it's not going to work out. <laughs> <laughs> that's just not like a, that's like a normal arc. So, you know, I basically like this. Like, like with, like with Kevin, I could watch the footage all day. Like, it doesn't even have to be about anything. I just find that just intrinsically interesting. This whole thing about like the Geordie accent, one of the things that I found, I couldn't quite understand. I thought maybe I'd miss something and maybe I did, which is, it seems as though long before this thing comes up, they debunk the Geordie accent thing where the guys are like, well, we figured out that like everything he says is stuff he could have read in the paper. So we didn't, we realized that it was, it was probably bullshit. And you don't know how that fits in in time with what happens here. Because right. this happens, this story happens much later in the series. Right. Um, Are you saying there's no suspense? Because they should have like had him do that. <laughs> and then later we find out the Geordie accent was fake instead of finding out the Geordie accent wasn't true before we hear that guy tell the story. Uh-huh. Or they should have at me? least said, well, you know, this is before we figured, figured it out. Because <laughs> yeah. the whole thing I was like, I was like, wait, they know that that's not right. And then... Again, it's like, why didn't they, when they figured out that the Geordie thing, the Geordie accent was not actually real, like, why didn't they go, like, there was no, like, why wouldn't you go back and take a look at, like, your top suspects yeah. who didn't have Geordie a- accents, so you got rid of them? I, you know, it was just one of those things. It just was kind of a head scratcher, and I couldn't figure out why they structured the things the way they, that episode the way they did. Like, even if, I missed something or maybe it had been apparent. The fact that it's like kind of a stopper for people just means that it should have been thought through a little bit more, I think. Hmm. All right. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know. Should they check out The Ripper on Netflix? This is a four-part documentary about a series of murders that took place in Yorkshire in the late 70s and early 80s. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Ripper? Um, I'm kind of going thumbs sideways towards down, I guess, on this one. Um, so like Southwest, a, dro- a droopy thumb, <laughs> thumb. It's a droopy thumb. Nobody loves a flaccid thumb. <laughs> it's a flaccid thumb. How do we get it up? How do we get it up? <laughs> well, it's just not going to happen. I yeah. love the British coppering shows more than anyone. Oh my god, I've been watching so many over the holiday break. And this just didn't do it for me. I mean, so I did see somebody suggested in our discussion group that the BBC did a documentary a few years ago about this case that was a lot tighter and shorter. They said, check that out if you want to learn about the case. I don't know. It just, this whole documentary just sort of blended together to me. They had good people, good sources, good historical footage, but it just kind of wasn't that exciting in the way that it was told. And so, unfortunately, it just didn't keep my interest. Toby Ball, thumbs up or thumbs down for The Ripper? I give it a, a sort of minor thumbs up, I guess. I agree with Kevin that, you know, the fact that we can talk about this stuff that they didn't kind of follow through on means that it was there to begin with, but just wasn't sort of presented strongly enough. I guess for something like this, in order for it to sort of get beyond telling this happened and this happened and this happened. It's like, what, what what are you trying to show here? Like, what are we supposed to be getting out of this? Beyond, well, the cops weren't very good at their jobs right then. It, it seemed like there's a lot of things you could have gotten out of it, but they don't make much of an effort to make the cases for those things mm. or to take those things and kind of integrate them into the story. 
So I just kind of felt like there was a big lost opportunity there. But at the same time, you know, again, I, I find the the era interesting. The footage is is great. And as a story of sort of failure of institutions, I, I thought it was pretty interesting. So, you know, it's a mild thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I'm going thumbs up. I do enjoy things, you know, it, this is more like a History Channel kind of retelling of the story. I knew a little bit about the Yorkshire Ripper, so I kind of knew where things were going to go. So something like The Big Wheel, when we, you know, we talk about the, I understood why that was significant. So maybe I'm one step ahead of an American audience that doesn't know a lot about this British serial killer from the late 70s. But I thought it was told, you know, well, a little subtle, very classic setup, not a lot of flash, but the story is interesting. And like Toby, I could look at archival film from the BBC and CBS like all day long. I just I I like the way it was put together. So mm. I'm a thumbs up. I am a thumbs sideways but less flaccid than Lara. So what the fuck is that I even guess I'm, mean? I guess my thumb is semi-hard, is what we'd was, say. Um, is it turgid? <laughs> it's not turgid. Okay. Uh, uh, my thumb needs fluffing. Let's put it that way. Right, so it's, it's a not thumbs a, down. It's not a thumbs down. Okay. It's a thumbs, my very mild thumbs up. Very, very mild. This is why. Everything was here. All of the things were mm-hmm. here. I liked all the people i liked all the scenes i liked the dryness of it i liked that it wasn't exploitative you know one thing that they didn't do which i wish they had done and i was talking a little bit with laura richards about it uh from true crime profile who you know mm-hmm. is british and knows about all of these cases and you know she's you know makes the very good point over and over again that like naming a killer is like bad mm-hmm. <laughs> and they don't talk about that at all sort of the branding of a killer actually hampers investigations hurts families like there's no upside but it sells newspapers we exactly heard. but there's no upside to it and they don't really get into that part of it but I do feel like all the elements were there all of them were there there wasn't anything objectionable except it was edited very poorly like you could have exactly the same scenes exactly Mm. the same interviews if you I felt like if they were just put in a different order it would have been more suspenseful more interesting I think the four of us can agree that this wasn't exciting it was not yeah but something, sometimes things can be exciting, not exciting, but they could be edited well and still be good. This was not edited well. It was put together in the wrong order. All the pieces were there. It was like a puzzle where you have a piece that looks like it should go there and you just jam it in instead of like, you know, waiting patiently. So, yeah, it's OK. Um, not horrible. Not great. So mild thumbs up for me. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends. 
Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Kevin, what does that music mean? It means it's business time. It's business time. 2021. Oh, business. my God. Listen, I don't think 2021 is going to be any better than 2020. <laughs> I really don't. Yeah. But I am it's happy be a to. I'm, well, no, it may, may be worse, but I am happy that we can at least find out now. You All know? right, yeah. <laughs> at least we'll have the opportunity to find out. So, in our business time, we usually tell you what you can get on our Patreon and so forth. And so, today on the Crime Writers on Patreon After Show, if you're one of our patrons, I am going to spill the tea over why everyone is so pissed uh, at the team at The Daily and The New York Times, the podcast team at The Daily, in the wake of the caliphate scandal, uh, the caliphate returning the Peabody scandal. I'm going to spill all the tea for you guys. In particular about one... Producer, but also in particular, just management person. Exactly. It has has many layers. It will be like my murder board, my Carrie Matheson style telling of this story that I may or may not have had a part in making a thing on Twitter. So that's happening in our after show. Including drinks poured over people's heads. Exactly. And Laura Bricker, of course, is going to fill us in on all the British shit she's been watching because I need to know to make a list. So that's what's happening on the after show. Kevin, what else do we have going on our Patreon right now? Uh, We have Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. <laughs> and uh, Toby, tell us about the uh, the book that uh, you guys just read. It's, what is it? The Third Rainbow Girl? Yeah, The Third Rainbow Girl. It's about, um, uh, well, remember, uh, what was it? Broken Hearts about the rainbow festivals or whatever? Yes. So this is about two young women who are headed to one in their early 80s uh, who are murdered. And it's sort of a, a combination of a story about sort of the investigation into their deaths and also the story of the author who is working on sort of like an AmeriCorps thing in West Virginia where this happened. It's a very interesting book. Yeah. Uh, definitely recommended. I talked about this with uh, Sarah D. Bunting and uh, Julia Henderson. Hmm. And Julia Henderson, of course, is from the 30 for 30 podcast, right? Yes. Love yes. her. Uh, it, was actually, it, was, it was a great conversation. It was, it was, it was super interesting largely because of their conversation with each other. So yeah, I would if, if you're uh, if you're on Patreon, definitely check it out. I, I thought it was, was super interesting. Well, while we're just talking about Toby's Book Club for a second, I just want to plug one thing that is not on Patreon that everyone can listen to for free. I did an interview with Rebecca Sebastian, who's been a frequent oh, yeah. uh, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club guest. She is wonderful. She has a podcast called Dialogue, and uh, she had done a bunch of interviews with a bunch of true crime podcasters, and she was like, and thus ends my series on interviews with true crime podcasters and I was like wait what what do you mean <laughs> thus ends your series you didn't interview me and she apparently had wanted to for a long time but you know she was thing don't text her exactly cool. yeah, okay, she, yeah. She, she, she was she was trying to play it cool but I like really wanted to be on the show and it's really one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done um, Rebecca is wonderful she asked great questions we talked a lot about what makes a good true crime podcast versus a bad one we talked just a lot about a lot of things and it's really really good and in large part because she's so great so check out Rebecca 
Sebastian's podcast, Dialogue, uh, the interview with me, and then you'll find other great interviews there as well. Now, Kevin, before we move on, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Jennifer Tate and Jordan Smith. Nice. Bless you. Bless you. Jennifer is a crazy cat lady, so I love her. <laughs> <laughs> meow, meow. That's like the she cat version pirate, of Bless you. Pirate Jack, yes. Nice. All right, Kevin. Thus ends, does it not? The business section. The business section. I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out now. Moving on. First summer, we went to Glastonbury. Felt like we were in love. Seemed to have similar outlooks in life. Making love. Quite inseparable. We got chatting that night and we hit it off. While working as advocates for left-wing British causes, several women find love among the young men who've come to protest beside them. At the same time their relationships deepen, their group's political actions are increasingly foiled. There is one thing on everyone's minds in all of this. A nagging doubt that won't go away. They'd planned the raid with the utmost secrecy. So how on earth did the police know about it? The women fear their boyfriends are hiding secrets, and the men vanish, leaving them with so many questions. Through their own sleuthing, they learned the men did not live and sleep with them for romance, but to infiltrate their ranks. Amid fears London could become a hub of revolution, special branch detective Conrad Dixon says to his superiors, Give me 20 men, half a million pounds and a free hand, and then he will make the problem go away. In the podcast Bed of Lies from The Telegraph, host Cara McGugan explores one of the UK's biggest recent scandals. How far and how intimate can the government go to keep tabs on citizens in the name of domestic security? Now, we are going to be talking about plot points for Bed of Lies. So to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down review. Now, Kevin, I have a question for you. Yes. Uh, and I'm going to tip my hand. This is a thing that I loved about the podcast. I loved that this podcast had a sexy, like, wondery style name, like Bed of Lies. <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be about just, like, some, like, like secret life, like, have another wife scandal, right? Yeah. And it just, it had sort of this hook, and the whole first episode was sort of about, like, you know, I'm with a man, and, I, and I, I'm being betrayed, and it really sort of sets you up for some, like, juicy... Like dirty yeah. trip, but it ends up being about something like real and political and police misconducty. And I like loved the fact that they used that hook to tell this story. What did you think? Right, because you could have gone straight up the political angle, right, right, and told the story that way. It has a, more of a Dirty John kind of start. Like my log line would be Dirty John meets Chicago Seven. Yeah, right. And I think that that's fine because not only you know you build sympathy for the characters. And, you know, some might say, oh, well, you're, you know, you're making it about silly women. And, you know, I defend that. No, I think it's a great way of doing it. I think that the, the women are uh, treated well by the interviewers. Uh, there's a lot going on, though. Yeah. You know, to say this, because we're working with a lot of different timelines that are and, and like re- stories about relationships that the timelines are not overlapping yeah, at all. Yeah, it is a little so, hard to keep track yeah. of. I know Toby and Laura both had issues with that. But Toby, the one thing that I appreciated is that Kara says in the first episode, like, I'm going to throw a lot of stuff at you. A lot of it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I I liked that, but it is confusing a little bit. Right, Toby? Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of very, very similar stories, mm. right? And to the point where I was like, is this all going to just turn out to be the same guy? Yeah, I thought <laughs> like, the same thing. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, so I, you know, I, I thought that was that was kind of her. So I didn't 
feel like I was like, okay, wait, who's this? And, and she's with who and all this stuff. And, you know, I think they do a pretty good job of giving you like Andy Van and, you know, there's the Italian guy. And so they, they all had these like. The flashy little, hiker. Yeah. They had these little sort of mnemonic devices or whatever. So I thought that was good. I mean, it's the kind of thing like if you're watching it like a documentary on TV or something, they can kind of cue you with with photos of people. Exactly. So you're like, oh, it's that guy. Exactly. Um, and, th- and they couldn't do it here, which made it a little bit tougher, which was why it was good that it was kind of like they kind of made a decision, right? Where they didn't, instead of focus on one and go way deep on one person's story and just be like, well, this is one of several. It was like, we're just going to show you a whole bunch of them at, to a certain depth to show you that this is pervasive, right. right? And they're all kind of following the same pattern, which I think was a, which was a smart thing. But in doing it in an audio form, telling people basically, you know, focus on the pattern, not mm. on the details, I, I think was a was a smart thing to do. Laura, I thought of you a lot in the first couple of episodes when I heard about the beginnings (laughs) of these relationships. (laughs) So we have one of the women. She talks about how this guy all of a sudden starts showing up at the protests. He has terrible hair, terrible clothes, an earring that she doesn't understand. And he has a van, which is the best part. And so I was attracted to him. <laughs> Didn't you think like this is literally the opposite of anybody that I would ever be attracted to, especially the van. The van is creepy to me. It's not an upside. <laughs> no, I would have been like, say I was in this group and this guy showed up. I would have been like, why does, is he a pedophile? Why does he have a van? Is he a kidnapper? <laughs> why doesn't he cut his hair? What is, you know, I would have been super. But, you know. No, I was I it would have been a big no for me, but I was it was interesting to hear how these women like what attracted them to these men. And and the fact that he had the van also was key when they were doing things they shouldn't have been doing because he didn't have to go in because he was the getaway driver. That's right. You know? And there's also apparently we, we learned there's van culture in England, yeah. like having a van means something. Yeah. It means the opposite of what it means in the United States, which Who is your knew? creep. So I guess it wasn't it like a white van with no windows and no doors. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's, yeah. So the, so there's a whole episode about why vans are important. Yeah, like Vans mean like you're handy. Vans gotcha. mean that you vans are the, the, the centerpiece of the British economy. They sort of talk about that. It's like the British uh, F-150. Exactly. Right. Exactly. It was very interesting to me in that relationship how she made him go to couples counseling. For like, I, I mean, that was a detail. Like, I cannot stop thinking about that. Now, this is the one instance. Of course, we'll talk about later what these guys were actually doing, which is horrible. But this is the one instance we're thinking back on it where I actually feel bad for the guy, even though he was like, should not have been there. Imagine your job is to infiltrate a group, and part of it is getting into relationships, and then you have to go to couples counseling with that person <laughs> for a year. Oh. <laughs> like, I just want to go home to my wife. <laughs> my actual... It's like, a, it's like an HBO series. It really yeah. is. It really, really could be. I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Um, so, of course, we find out through the course of the podcast that what this is is, is a program, um, which is really kind of beyond belief. The British government is sort of perpetuating against its citizens. It's not really beyond belief, let's be real. Post 9-11, there's nothing beyond belief. But this was in the 90s, a lot of it. So the British government is perpetuating this program where they are sending in cops and a secret squad to infiltrate protest groups 
And part of it is that these guys are getting together with women as part of the assignment. Toby, just what do you think of even just the idea that this whole thing existed? Again, it's like who was in the room when they came up with this idea? Yeah. Um, I thought the episode where they're kind of going through the manual that they oh. give these guys yes. was, the trade was super craft, interesting. The tradecraft episode. Yeah. It, and also just super horrifying. And they're just like, oh, these these women are going to be disgusting. Like the food they eat, the way they smell, the hygiene, it's going to be nothing like you're used to. Try not to have a lot of sex with them. Yeah. For queen and country. Make it uncomfortable. <laughs> make, make sure your interactions with the wearies are tragic and short-lived. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And one of the things that was interesting to me, Laura, is these guys all disappear. And the pattern is really stunning, right? They're together yeah. for a period of time. By the way, a long period of time. These guys are visiting, the, like, hanging out with the families. She talks about, one of the women talks about the boyfriend being a pallbearer at her dad's funeral, right? So they're there for a long time, and then they just disappear. And all of these women, all four of them that we kind of get to know in the series, they all turn into detectives. Now, that made me think of you. Oh, yeah. I, and and I, I was kind of applauding these women when they were described as being like Miss Marple going out. And I bet it was it was also really heartbreaking that they had to become Miss Marple, you know, yeah. that nobody is giving them answers. These men just disappear, men that they've been in relationships with for long periods of time and that they're like tracking them around. And then they, the one woman was getting these like every once in a while would get like some random bit of information from the guy that he was okay or whatever. And on one hand, I was like, this is totally something I would I would be into going and tracking down to find out where these guys went and who they were. And then on the other hand, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with the police that they are putting the women in the position that they are having to do this. I mean, they, these weren't like just like little one night stands. I mean, these were legitimate relationships. It just really pissed me off. You know, I'm really kind of trying to put my head around, you know, whether this kind of technique should be applied here. I guess the answer is no. But, no, the answer know, is no. Undercover, like undercover surveillance infiltration, like we certainly think that should happen in cases with groups where there are serious crimes involved, like, you know, uh, the mafia or jihadists or, spe yeah, you know, the Hells Angels or, you know, something like that, where their goal might be violence and killing people or a drug trade or something like that. Domestic terrorism. Domestic terrorism, not domestic agitation. Protests. Not protest. You know, well, I mean, it's always possible that, you know, these aren't weekend protesters for the most part. These are people that are really serious. Sure, it's possible that one of them come up and start, you know, having some, you know, very extreme demonstration. But, you know, as a matter of course, to put all this money in an infiltration and not just like, well, uh, hey, I, Steve's here and OK, Steve, we'll catch you next week. And Steve's just like coming in and out to actually have Steve like go in and shack up with another one of the protesters who next week is going to be like, no fur. It just doesn't it doesn't equate to. Find out who's building a bomb. Yeah, well, that's right? not what it was about. I mean, Toby, they, they talk that right. the cop talks about the fact that they were very plain. This wasn't about acts of violence. This was about preserving the yeah. corporate dominance. Oh, this yeah. was about keeping the economy going. This was about we want to make this a business friendly country. So we don't want someone chaining themselves to a bulldozer because then a company won't want to build a factory here. Toby, I found that incredibly disturbing, especially given the rise of right wing violence around the globe, xenophobia, all the stuff that we've seen sort of concurrently with this. 
that this would be what they would choose to focus on. It seemed with, you know, these kinds of tactics. We didn't hear anything about, you know, cops going into skinhead groups, for instance, and shacking up with skinhead ladies. What did you think about that, Toby? Well, you know, I don't think it's that surprising. I mean, I think that in the U.S., and I, I know less about England, but just based on this, is that there is, I think, sort of an overrating of the threat posed by left-wing groups. Yeah. And again, I think it comes down to what are you trying to protect? And, you know, I think a lot of it, it's like you were saying, and like the guy was saying, it's like it's business interests. It's like we've got to protect capitalism and the, the ability for businesses to compete. And that's more important than things like racism and anti-Semitism or stockpiling guns or, or things like that, which I think most people would consider more of sort of a law enforcement priority. Yeah. So if, if you read about like the COINTEL program in the US, particularly in the 60s, where they were really infiltrating these left-wing groups, you know, most of whom were, were, were fairly nonviolent, you know, I think these these groups get built up into being more than what they actually are. Mm. And I think it's certainly true in this case. And they make them sound like, you know, these are potentially dangerous and they're paranoid. You have to be really good or else they'll catch you out and stuff. But all these guys are just like worming their way in with seemingly no trouble. And everybody's completely credulous. And it seems like the exact opposite of what they're talking about. It seems like a bunch of sort of sincere, credulous people who, if you're soon to be on their side, are like all psyched to have you there. So it just it seems a little overblown. But it's it's disgusting. I mean, it reminds me so much of the Dakota pipeline protests, yeah. which were concurrent with like the Bundy stuff, right? The white right. supremacy, the sort of uh, militia, the taking of government land. You had our government unwilling to deal with these people who were actually armed bombing things, you know, threatening to shoot people, occupying government. This is happening right now with Black Lives Matter and with anti-maskers and with, you know, these ridiculous groups sort of rising up, the Proud Boys and so forth. The government is like unwilling to deal with them and interfere with them. But then you have these Dakota Pipeline environmental protesters, which were, you know, involved a lot of uh, indigenous people, you know, sort of well-meaning, real environmentalists. And it was like freezing them out, blocking their yeah. food supply, putting Turn hoses the fire on, hose them. on them when it's yeah. And it's, it's it's not atypical, right, to have state action against left wing people in a way that they won't act against right wing. But, but the politics that's the MacGuffin, right? Yeah, it's, it's true. You know, because because it, it isn't like they did this in nineteen eight and it had to do with this one thing. It was over and over again. Yeah. And what did they say at the end? That in the end they had over a hundred hundred and thirty six cops. Over, I don't know, four decades looking at over a thousand political groups doing this. And, you know, you do things as an undercover in crime investigations, but the idea that in this case, you're looking at non criminals yep. and you're having them father children with them. Yep. And that they think that, you know, as a, a rule, that the best people to do this, the best officers, are ones who are married and have a f- stable family life right. to go back to. I mean, that is the outrageous thing. It's, you know, we can, there's definitely, one should be outraged about the fact that the government thinks that you should be targeting political groups because of these things. 
But the method that they used and applied in this case is what is so outrageous. And I think that's what makes for this great story. Laura, you know, she addresses this in the final episode. You know, she talks about the thing that we don't talk about at all in the podcast, which is the wives of these officers. Mm -hmm. But she also drops the question that I found myself thinking about the entire time, which was about consent. I mean, this is very, very easy to frame as rape because it is like... You, when you go into a sexual relationship, you think you know what you're doing, right? When you consent, mm-hmm. it's because you think you know who you're with. It's it's your decision to be with that person. And when it turns out that person isn't that person at all, you know, is that rape? That's a question she dropped. I found myself thinking that the entire series. What did you think of these tactics? And, and do you see that as like a non-consensual relationship? That's really hard because it's it's something that at the time it does feel consensual. I think it's betrayal and deception mm-hmm. and horrible, you know, misleading and just, you know, it's just awful the way that these women were used. But it's it's definitely, it's hard to think about what, for me, what context I would put that in because at the time that they were giddy and in love and traveling and living with these men, it was a very different story. I mean, it's it's like, Going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's like that Dirty John, like double life sort of yes. situation. Yes. Yes. So it's yeah. We never talked about whether or not Deborah was consenting. We never talked about that. Well, in that there story. was stupid Deborah. Well, no, she's <laughs> not stupid Deborah. It's Dirty John. Yes. So in hindsight, I think it obviously goes into a different context. So that's a really tough question. And I thought it was interesting when they brought the wives in at the end because you know you don't realize when you're hearing this whole story, you're thinking like, how the hell can these guys keep up two lives to the extent that they are without either one knowing about the other or whatever and managing to keep that all separate and keep up two facades? I mean, that's incredible that they were able to carry that off for as long as they did. And you know, I did feel sympathy for the wives because they didn't ask to be put in that. I mean, can you imagine? I, no. I would be like, fuck well, you. You're out of here. <laughs> Sorry. This is what I wanted to do during this review. Just can you, Kevin and Toby, just indulge me for a second so I can have a little girl talk with Laura? All right. Right now? All right. So, Laura, I found myself thinking about some things that I wanted to ask you about woman to woman. OK. All right. Um, how do these guys go on vacations with their marks? <laughs> Where did their wives think they were going? Did you think about that? Yeah, it's who like, paid? What, oh, I, like who I'm paid? traveling for for work. Uh, yeah. Oh, I've got a work trip. I'll be back next week. Oh, you're kind of tan. Oh, well, you know. <laughs> but who paid? Like, like who paid for the holiday? Right. If I'm thinking that, the other thing I, I was wondering is. Have you ever found yourself in a situation like when your boyfriend wasn't in the car and you decided to search his glove compartment? Because I know that I do that shit all the time. What about you? Oh, I do that stuff all the time. (laughs) 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 I am so awful. I'm like a horrible. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I have searched so many things of so many people. (laughs) Okay. So another woman to woman question I have for you is we do find out. I mean, I am in no way minimizing the pain and trauma these women went th- went through. But we do find out that that one guy put in a kitchen in that house. So I just yeah. kept thinking, like, not only are you at home with your wife and you have to, like, you know, do all the things you do to, like, hold up your end of the domestic bargain, you know, help with laundry, empty the dishwasher, all that. Then you got to go to work, have a whole other relationship and install a kitchen? It's a lot, right? Mm. <laughs> it's a lot considering I've been waiting for one shower head to be fixed for nine months. I mean, good for him. 
<laughs> all right, before we wrap up, I just want to just address a couple of things that a couple of you noted. Like, I think we all agree there are some production issues with this podcast, right? And Toby, you very rarely pointed out a production issue, a thing you never do. So I'm going to give you a chance to gripe about it. Go. Well, it's just the narration was quite a bit louder than the sort of interview audio. Uh, yeah. yeah, I did notice that. Yeah. Usually, like, I don't really notice it that much. But I was doing a hell of a lot of like turning it up, turning it down. It's annoying, it up, right? Turning yeah. it down. Yeah. yeah. So, Levels are important. And it just like I don't know why you would get that wrong. It just doesn't seem like it seems like somebody would listen to me like, can you can you knock up the <laughs> Yeah. Can you turn that up just a little bit? And yeah. You, you would do it. But Well, whatever. I'll tell you, I think the way you get that wrong is when, you know, if you hire an audio production person print Which people they do. yeah the print people they like work in production in tandem with yeah, the production the, the, yeah i can imagine a situation where the print people are deferring to the audio people right and they're like oh that's no that's how it is supposed to be because there were some issues with the mix like the music was way too low and like the music was and i have a lot of people on the on a facebook group talking about the music being incongruous i actually kind of liked some of the music it had that sort of jaunty serial like piano kind of thing but it would be so low in the mix that and then they'd bring it up, but they wouldn't bring it up like at all. And I was like, no, here's where you really want like the music to like be your interstitial here. That was just a quibble, production quibble. But um, yeah, there's a lot going on in this podcast. So on that note, I think we should do what we do and let our listeners know, should they check out Bed of Lies from The Telegraph, host Kara McGugan's exploration of a group of cops who infiltrate political groups and have sex with women for long periods of time and go to counseling. In actually doing their police <laughs> jobs. Uh, Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Bed of Lies? Um, this is a mild thumbs up. So I liked this podcast, but I couldn't, if you asked me what the names of these couples were, I couldn't tell you for the life of me because there were some parts that were very confusing, keeping the different characters apart. And I clearly have a mental block because besides Andy Van, I don't remember anybody. But I think this story was a super interesting story. And I think what I liked about it was that it was told from the perspective of these women in these different groups that were used by the men and were you know, like unwitting victims in this. And I liked that they were given a voice in this. And it was really interesting. And I have to tell you, this was a ripped from the headlines plot in my new favorite show on at, uh, DCI Banks. On and Prime, which I just Prime. started watching today. Yeah, I love DCI Banks, Alan. And um, and so, yes, in one of the later seasons, there is actually a plot line where they have an undercover cop who they find out years before fathered a child with a woman that he had a relationship when he infiltrated one of these groups. And it came hmm. up to be a plot in a murder case. And I was like, ripped from the headlines. Um, yes. So I would say, you know, mild thumbs up. It's a really interesting case. Um, and, and I guess maybe you don't really even need to know who these people are because it's interesting without remembering their names. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Bed of Lies? I'm a thumbs up. I, I liked it quite a bit. Again, I, I think they give you the right advice at the beginning, which is don't worry about all the details. Because what it really is about is a program and seeing the patterns. And, you know, it's it, it's horrifying. They've got a lot of, I mean, they talk to the right people. Um what what they expose is just it's it's horrendous, hmm. you know. And it was a policy, you know. It was a it was an official program. Yep. So yeah, I I really liked it. So I would give it a, a pretty strong thumbs up. Kevin Flynn, thumbs up or thumbs down for Bed of Lies. I'm a, a thumbs up definitely, and I have the same complaint that everybody does. That there's a lot of people to keep track of, and that can be difficult. But you know, you get absolved because uh, 
you don't really need to. You can just kind of go along with it. It's it, as Toby says, it's about the program and not so much about the individuals. This would make a great book. I think it'd be easier to follow in book form or documentary. That, I think Toby was right. You know, the, the visuals yeah. and you can see the yeah. people. Yeah, it, this is one area where podcasting is at a disadvantage when it's trying to keep straight different voices as opposed to you know a bunch of different faces, perhaps. But otherwise, I thought this was really good. I, I, uh, it's a crime scandal that is big news in the UK, but not in the US. So all of it is new and fresh to this audience. And uh, I like the amount of you know journalism that they did. They didn't. They weren't really investigating anything. To, like they weren't breaking any news here, but they did a good job of telling the story. Thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs up for me, too. And I actually did think they did break some news. I mean, one of the things that we heard about, I think, that wasn't necessarily reported on a lot was that coercive relationship that that one victim was in with the cop who decided to leave. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I really like this podcast, and I was not expecting to. When I saw people in our Facebook group talking about a thing called Bed of Lies, I'm like, oh, it's going to be some wondery shit. <laughs> um, but no, it's really good. And I was, I found myself even telling you know my son about it. I'm like, I'm listening to this really good podcast. It starts out you think it's going to be this like crappy wondery secret identity thing and it turns out to be this political story that's really interesting and i really like Kara mcgugan as a host like her her ability to sort of take us through a lot of this very confusing stuff and sort of draw it together the writing is is very strong in some ways even though you know we talked about all the characters being confusing at the end i do find myself very satisfied because she answers a lot of the questions or seeks to answer a lot of the questions that i have so yeah thumbs up for me for bed of lies i hope the telegraph makes more podcasts do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you truth finder has you covered you can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. TruthFinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to TruthFinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's TruthFinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the, the week. week. If you've seen the movie classic A Christmas Story, you'll remember the old man's ongoing struggle with the Bumpus's hound dogs who burst into the kitchen and made off with the turkey. A similar scene played out in Scotland. David Barrett's family of three was preparing to carve the turkey when they saw their dog Bubba had polished off the entire bird. It's quite a feat considering the turkey was resting on the kitchen counter and Bubba is a tiny chi opso. 
That's a Chihuahua and Lhasa Apso, I believe. Ah. The thief could not manage a getaway. Once she finished with the meal, she collapsed on the floor in an instant food coma, probably mm. caused by all the tryptophan, tryptophan. in that turkey. Yeah. The incident happened in 2016, but just like a Christmas story, the social media post makes a comeback each December. It's believed the Barrett family left Bubba and went to a Chinese restaurant where they were served a duck with a head still attached. Let's just hope they weren't as racist as they were in a Christmas story. So panel, Bubba was a very, very bad dog. What should be his punishment? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Um, I'm kind of thinking of like a Trojan horse sort of tofurky situation for Bubba <laughs> next year. <laughs> a decoy. Nice. Yeah. What do you think, Toby Ball? What should be Bubba's dog punishment for eating the entire turkey that this family planned to eat for Christmas? He's got to do the dishes. It's <laughs> oh. <laughs> only fair. What do you think, Kevin Flynn? I think like in a Christmas story, it should make uh, Bubba uh, sit uh, in the bathroom with a bar of life buoy in his yes, mouth. Yes, yes. Ugh. Ugh, yes. It was soap poisoning. Do you think maybe Bubba should get a secret decoder ring that turns out to just be a commercial? It sounds like I was talking about Patreon. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Hold on. It's a secret message just for Annie's friends. <laughs> Stand by. <laughs> Eat your oval team? <laughs> All right. We should probably end on that note. But before we do, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Well, just for you, Rebecca, we have a dog. Thank goodness. Mm. Yes, it's from Kathy Simmons. And so she sent in, this is sad, and I related to a lot of what Kathy said. That's why I picked this. Uh, her sweet Lucy, she had sent me a picture of Lucy's first Christmas as a puppy. She was 10 when her ACL went out and they fixed her. And we went through that with my dog as well when we had to take out, it's like a second mortgage when you have that done. So Kathy, I feel you. But then this part, oh God, the weekend before her stitches were removed, a coyote had her for breakfast. Oh. We miss gosh. her joy in our house so much, but we just got a mini Bernadoodle. She's not as curly as Rebecca's and Kevin's dogs. Briscoe, yes. A larger dog would scare them away. Miss Izzy is also a bringer of joy. And this is the time of year she tries to spread her joy around. And there's a little picture of Izzy in a little outfit. So listen, I can't say enough good things about the mini Bernadoodle, even though he may have just eaten one of my favorite boots before we started recording this show. <laughs> it's like Bubba. All right. Laura Bricker, if you'd like people to submit cats or dogs or other kinds of animals to be cat of the week for you, of course, they can do it by email or in our Facebook group. But how can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if folks want to reach out to you and say, hey, Toby, how can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, folks want to continue their outpouring of love for you. How can they find you on Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join our amazing community. You really are amazing. And our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media and you'll get all that stuff. We're not going to make you drink your Ovaltine. You'll get the Crime Writers <laughs> On After Show, Mary with Podcast, 
podcast, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast, a Dakota and Ring, Laura Bricker's <laughs> Leave It to Bricker podcast. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very handsome Olivia Burdett. Our executive producer is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement, where we regularly rank the attractiveness of men with scraggy ponytails, mullets, and vans. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Is everybody excited? That we are ready to do this. Have we? As I'm as we can living be. it up. I I moved into my living room tonight so that I could be warm since I'm the only one here. <gasps> oh, <laughs> that's great. All right, let's talk about that too. Me and the cats. We're getting, and I'm having a painkiller. Uh. <laughs> oh, the drink. The drink. Yeah. Not the opioid. Maybe the drink. both. Who knows? Not the. Op- I mean, who knows? It's you know. Okay. Here we go. Let's get rid of 2020. Should we go ahead and record a podcast? Yeah. All right. Let's get it done. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.